You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Good morning, family. Ant here, pastor at Midtown Two Notch. Wanted to start off by just wishing all the moms who are watching this a happy Mother's Day. Uh, we appreciate you. We value you. We know that the work that you have done for us is vital, is very needed, is very necessary. And we just wanted to affirm you and say we love you and happy Mother's Day to you. Also, at the same time, we understand that Mother's Day is a very difficult and oftentimes painful holiday for many for many mothers who aren't able to be with their children right now for one reason or another, and also for those of us who aren't able to be with our moms as we desire to be at this point. And so if that is you, and Mother's Day is just particularly difficult for you, I want you to know that I, I have sincerely prayed for you that God would extend his comfort to you in a special way that you would experience his peace uh, in this time of grieving here on Mother's Day. I wanted to begin our time sharing a story that I've learned, or a lesson, I should say, that I've learned from my mom when I was about 22 years old, so I was at that age where I knew absolutely everything, and I had just had a disagreement with my mom. And after the disagreement, she looked at me and she said, Aunt, I mean, you might be right, but at the end of the day, oftentimes when you argue with someone, it's not going to matter because people aren't going to listen to you because you don't listen to people when you argue with them. Her words that day changed my life. I mean, it helped me to see that I really just loved winning an argument because it, it helped me, it caused me to feel superior. It was like, look at me, I'm, I'm competent, I'm smart, I just beat you. It, I, I was arguing to, to elevate myself more than I was arguing to find resolution with the person that I was arguing with, or even to find the truth. I just wanted to be heard. I just wanted to be right. That feeling of superiority, it's kind of addictive, isn't it? It's very easy to, to, to get into some type of a disagreement to, to try to feel superior to someone else. But it's not just arguments that cause us to feel this way. We, pr we pursue superiority to others in a variety of ways. Maybe it's in looks, maybe it's in intelligence, or maybe morality in, in some sense. We love to consistently compare ourselves to others, to prop ourselves up, to try to outdo or one-up someone else. It's a very gratifying feeling to feel superior to others. But unfortunately, it's also very problematic as well. Paul addresses this here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. If you've been with us, you know we're in, a, in the middle of a series on the book of 1 Timothy, where Paul is giving us instruction and encouragement on how to live as the church, the, the called out people of God. In this passage, he's going to specifically address men and women and in different ways that they are looking to prop themselves up as superior to others. And it's our task today to work through these passages and see how, or these verses and see how this applies to our lives specifically. Paul begins directing his, his words to the men in verse 8, and we'll begin there, and then we'll move on to what he has to say to the women this morning. Verse 8, 
I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. As we've already said in this series, there was much talking and going back and forth about pointless and worthless teachings that was very harmful to the church of Ephesus at this time, where Timothy is currently serving as pastor. And we now have this indication from Paul that there is this angry quarreling that's also going on between the men of the church. Some translations translate that, translate that Greek word there for quarreling as dissensions, which is an argument or a disagreement that leads to discord. The men here were very argumentative. They're the type that like to argue to show everyone just how right they are. They're the type to maybe start an argument about sports just to have a little debate and then maybe get angry when someone disagrees strongly with them. They're the type to argue angrily online with someone about what's going on in the world, maybe politics or something like that. They're the type to maybe use the sermon discussion time in a life group to talk about what they disagreed with that, that was said in the sermon, rather than to try to apply the truths from the Word of God as told in the sermon and talk about how those things can be applied to our hearts. They're the type to care more about being right than making things right. They're the type to, to want to win an argument, even if it means losing closeness of relationship with someone else, because they're trying to feel superior and earn this elevated status in their network of friends by being right. They're the argumentative type. And they're getting into these angry quarrels, likely in their everyday lives and during times of fellowship and maybe even times of worship as well. And we see in the second part of verse 8 that Paul tells them what they should do instead of being involved in this quarreling. And he states that he desires for them to pray, lifting holy hands. He's calling them to pray with a very specific posture remembering that they are, they are the holy people of God, that they've been set apart as the church, as the people of God. They've been set apart, and they're called to, he says, lifting their hands in prayer. Lifting our hands in prayer puts us in a posture where we're acknowledging that God is higher than we are, that he is greater, that he is holier than we are. So instead of trying to earn some elevated status, it acknowledges how glorious and good and wonderful God is, that he is above us, that he is greater than us. Lifting up our hands is, is a physical action that reminds us and maybe anyone else who might see us of who we are to be as the people of God. We are people that see God as greater than we are, and we are people that need him, that reach out to him. We approach him as the one who is truly set apart, truly different from us. It helps us, it helps others I said, as I said earlier, to know who we are to be as a people. We are people who need God, who find ultimate, complete satisfaction in him. There's an example of this from the Old Testament that we see in Psalm chapter, or Psalm 143, verse 6. Where the psalmist writes, I stretch out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. That the, the action, the physical act of worship of reaching out our hands to God is a way of expressing and showing and reminding ourselves and showing others that God is what truly satisfies us, that he is the one that is truly worth seeking. He's the one truly worth following and giving our lives for. 
and these angry quarrels, quarrels, excuse me, that were going on with the church in Ephesus are the exact opposite. They had people speaking confidently about things that they had no, no clue what they were actually talking about. And they went back and forth trying to be right, trying to be seen as above everyone else. And who does that put the attention on? It puts the attention on them. It puts them at the center. It makes them the focus. There were people who were brought together to enjoy worshiping God with their lives. But when they came together for fellowship or maybe for worship, they were instead worshiping themselves. They were, they were instead pointing everyone to themselves by trying to show off how smart they were, how intelligent they were. There was a lot of worship that was going on, but they weren't worshiping the one that is truly worthy of worship. So instead of reminding themselves and everyone else that what they truly need is for Christ to be made much of, they were engaging in this quarreling and were acting as if it was all about them. Instead of showing off to everyone, hey, Christ is the only one that can satisfy your thirsting. Seek him, know him, love him, pursue him, go after him, meditate on him, satisfy your souls in him. Instead of doing that, they were focused on promoting self. They wanted to be made much of. And Paul's encouragement is letting them know, hey, you have this twisted, you have this all backwards. You're putting all this energy, all this focus, all this drive on self-promotion and these angry quarrels are coming as a result of it over things that aren't even very important. He's saying, no, no, focus your energy, focus your drive, focus your work towards showing off Christ to be glorious and beautiful and wonderful. Focus your lives on knowing Christ and making him known to others. And since their focus wasn't on Christ, they were actually hindering the church more than helping the church. So brothers who are watching this, I have to ask you, when you're together with other believers, maybe you're just hanging out, maybe times of fellowship, maybe currently when you're on a Zoom call, how intentional are you about pointing the brothers and sisters that you are around to Jesus? Do you care more about winning debates or winning arguments than you actually care about making Christ look good and be esteemed in the eyes of those that you are around? Are you more focused on making yourself look good and causing yourself to be highly esteemed than Jesus himself? When you've participated in times of corporate worship in the past, how much have you considered that you might be able to do something actively to point everyone that you're with to Christ? Have you been intentional about using even maybe even in physical acts of worship that you engage in and participate in? Have you considered that you can actually be used by God in a way that points the hearts of our people to God just by worshiping him, by reminding yourself and reminding all of us who it is that we gather to worship and what he calls us to as a people? Or maybe in your life groups, men, are you maybe more focused on meeting together for the purpose of, of showing off how wise you are, how smart you are, specifically maybe in times of, of Bible discussion or sermon discussion? Is it more about you showing what you know, or are we more here doing this so that we can help others to see and know Christ? I believe God would use it in powerful ways in our life groups. If the men, if all the men came into our life group meetings and said, I'm, I'm going to make sure that, that what our conversation is about today is Jesus Christ and his glory and how good he is to us. Keeping the focus on Christ 
is so important to Paul that after addressing the men here, he goes on to address the women as well here in verse 9. Verse 9 reads, Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Notice that Paul begins that verse with the word likewise. He's showing us that he has a similar desire for the women that he has for the men. And as can be the case today, at that time in Ephesus, it was common for women to dress in specific ways to try to draw attention to themselves. And Paul is saying, don't use your external appearance that way. Women at that time would use the braiding of their hair or maybe fine jewelry, costly, expensive attire as a means of showing off, likely trying to put themselves above others. And those who had wealth specifically could dress in fancy ways and expensive ways to gain attention. Many in the church have used this verse to talk about the need for women to make sure that they're not dressing in an overly sexualized way. And that definitely fits inside of what Paul is saying here, but that's not a thorough view of what Paul is saying. That's not a complete look and view into what he's getting into. When he talks about with modesty and self-control, that word modesty there means to do something that is proper, that is suitable, to not be overly proud or, or confident, to not be vain or boastful. And modesty with self-control, among other things, means to keep oneself from following the urge and desires to use external appearance to elevate oneself above others or to achieve a certain status. Seeking to gain attention by being sexually attractive is something that a woman can do to draw attention to herself, and that's inappropriate as a follower of Jesus. But from what I've heard and even from what, I've, from what I have read, oftentimes the goal of women dressing isn't or is just as much to gain the approval or just as much for women as it is for other men. So here's what can end up happening. Men and women, men and women alike deal with insecurity, not being 100% secure in the fact that we're made as image bearers of God. And this insecurity often leads to comparing ourselves with others so that we can feel a little bit better about ourselves. And then this comparison often leads us to competition. There's a quote by Anna Wintour, editor of Vogue magazine, that I saw. She, she said, if you can't be better than your competition, dress better. If you can't be better than your competition, dress better. And when this competition between women seeps, seeps into the church, it shifts a body of believers adopted into the family of God that to, to worship him more and more into a group of people that are worshiping creation over the creator. It takes us from being a Jesus-centered family on mission with him and for him and makes us a self-centered family on a mission to elevate ourselves above others. The women in Ephesus were seeking their own glory instead of the glory of God, seeking to lift up themselves instead of lifting up Christ, wanting their names to be made much of instead of the name of Christ being made much of. Today, women who aren't practicing modesty with self-control, as we see in verse 9, might spend a lot of time, spend a lot of energy trying to create and come up with the perfect picture to post and share with friends so that they can get a lot of likes 
especially maybe to see if they can get more likes than this other person that they've been comparing themselves with. Or might feel a little bit sour towards another woman in your life group that you compare yourself to. Or she might have a lingering tension with maybe her biological sister that potentially has been going on since childhood as as they've been in competition with each other in a variety of ways. Or she might be comparing herself to other specific women, maybe even only in her her mind when choosing what she's going to wear. Or she might find herself analyzing and criticizing other women behind their backs as a way of causing herself to feel superior. It makes sense that Paul said likewise before addressing the women because the women in Ephesus were doing the same thing that the men were doing. They were competing with each other in a way that caused division and was a distraction to pointing everyone to Christ. The men were competing and seeking to draw attention to themselves through angry arguments and quarreling, and the women were competing and seeking to draw attention to themselves more subtly through external appearance. The men were trying to earn an elevated status by winning arguments, and the women were trying to earn an elevated status through external appearance to draw attention to themselves. Both were fighting to keep people's attention and admiration on them instead of focusing on putting people's attention and admiration on God. So for sisters in the room, I have, or sisters who are watching, I should say, I have to ask, are there times when believers are coming together, maybe in a life group meeting, maybe in a time of of fellowship, and your main thought is how others feel about the way you look? Do you often use external appearances to draw attention to yourself? Are you seeking to outdo or outdress or look better than or more attractive than others within the church? Or maybe even if it doesn't affect the way that you dress, do your mind and your, your heart often get distracted by comparing how you look to the way that other women look in times when you're gathering with believers? Does your insecurity cause you to often measure yourself against the other women, maybe in your life group? The church is a group of people that are all about being united together for worship. The men and women were 100% seeking to promote worship. The problem is they were promoting worship of vastly inferior false gods. Paul has already gotten on the teachers that were teaching false doctrine about God with their words, and now he's showing that they are also teaching false doctrine with their actions as well. Their competition that they were so invested in proclaimed that God wasn't worthy of ultimate glory. It proclaimed that mere humans were worth more attention, more spotlight, than God himself. So they were actually in competition with God and in competition with each other. To be in competition with God for his glory is the exact opposite of what our lives are to be about as followers of God. And to be in competition with believers is also completely futile because it is just like running on a treadmill. You're putting in all this work and all this effort and at the end of the day, you're actually not getting anywhere. I say this because when we do this, we're ultimately trying to earn some type of elevated status. We're striving, working working to be looked up to, admired, respected, esteemed very highly. The problem is you can never rest when that is what you're fighting for. If you're arguing, debating, trying to get someone to think you're intelligent or that you know a lot about God, there's always going to be another debate that you're going to have to win. 
Or if you're using external appearance to try to be superior to someone else, there's always going to be someone else that you have to compete with. Or if you always want to be the funniest or the most helpful or the best leader or the most respected or the one that's in the best shape, you're always going to be exhausting yourself because there will always be someone else that you have to compete with and prove yourself to be superior to. Maybe in your own eyes or maybe in their eyes. It's an endless striving, an endless work. Sure, you can gain someone's respect and get people to look up to you or admire you at some point, but then you just have to keep laboring and keep working and keep striving to earn it over and over again. And the thing that makes this most foolish and and mostly a worthless endeavor for Christians is that you have already been given the highest status that anyone can ever have in Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, You are the child of the Most High God. You are his son. You are his his daughter. You are in close relationship with the most famous and the most glorious, the most renowned, the most powerful, the most majestic one. He is the Alpha and he is the Omega. He's the beginning. He is the end. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He reigns and he is exalted above all. He has the name that is above every name. And that is your father. And he invites you into his royal family as his child. And one day he's going to return to fully establish and consummate his kingdom and you will be shown to be with him and he will be with you because you are a part of his chosen people. Your your, your status has already been elevated. Paul Paul says this when he's writing to the same church in the book of Ephesians in chapter two, verses four and verses four through six, excuse me. Paul writes, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So that was our status, right? Spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And now what Paul is saying is just like God raised Christ from the dead and he has ascended into heaven and is now in this place where we can see or we know of his status somehow in some way that God sees us as having done the same thing, that we have gone from death to life, we have been raised to new life and also he sees us as seated with Christ, Paul says, in the heavenly places. Family, we waste our time working striving, trying to earn some type of elevated status when we've already been freely given the greatest status that can be achieved or can be given to any man or woman because we are in Christ. Let us realize and rest in the fact that our King who died was raised and ascended into heaven. And until he returns for us, he has already elevated our status eternally. Let us not work and strive to elevate ourselves or try to earn a greater status. Instead, let's seek to direct our hearts and our minds and the hearts and minds of everyone else to the one who was infinitely glorious and truly worthy and deserving to be lifted up.